Ladies and gentlemen, this is an auspicious day. What a day! What a fabulous day! It is, in fact, a red letter day. Today marks the dawning of a new episode of Real Deal No Sex Appeal. A constant barrage of eye-opening conspiracies and ad-libbed innuendo. Featuring Parker. If at first you don't succeed, keep on sucking till you do succeed. <laughs> and Chris. On the streets, he's known as a jackass. Two premier content creators promoting the healthiest brand integrity in the world. Tell them what they've won, Spider. The way I see it, this should be a very dynamite show. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Real Deal No Sex Appeal. My name is Chris, with me as always is Parker, and ladies and gentlemen, this is our 50th episode. I have to admit that uh, I didn't know that we would get this far, but it's been a really wild ride. It's been a really enjoyable ride. I'm, I'm very proud of everything that we've accomplished. And to celebrate our 50th anniversary, we decided to watch one of my all-time favorite movies, Con Air. Parker, your thoughts? I don't know which Southern Cage is worse. Cameron Poe or the ones those little tiny Guatemalan kids are getting stuffed into? Well, <laughs> I uh, didn't really plan on... I uh, didn't think that we could... Uh, hang on, let me look if there's another movie we could do. Um, uh, shit. Um, do, do you have Congo downloaded? Can we just... No, yeah, I got some thoughts about the Congo. Short note. Okay, maybe... Okay, let's stick with Con Air. Uh, Parker, do you happen to have any news? <laughs> yeah, I got some fucking news, buddy. <laughs> no. No, I don't have any news. Oh, should we comment on our, <laughs> on our good friend of the program? Uh, oh, good. I've already forgotten his name. The guy who does Talking Dead. Oh, thank you, friend of the show, Chris Hardwick. Yeah, for spending years in a perpetual state of having a normal one. Congratulations on being a very regular guy. Now, this guy is an influence here. He's one of the guys who shows that you can get popular doing nothing but sitting on your ass and talking into a microphone about shit that other people can just watch and make their own opinions about. So uh, I mean, we salute you. The Walking Dead is a very cerebral show. But not as cerebral as the talking dead. I love banter. You know that about me. Mm -hmm. You know, actually, the most depressing thing about the Chris Hardwick thing is I went to the New York Times article linked on Facebook, and you go to the comments, it's the most depressing thing in the world. It's all a bunch of people defending him. Hey, I mean, you know, I just want to hear both sides. I, we know? don't have all the proof as we if don't have anything both was sides necessary. The These are just blind accusations that she must be making, you know, just to cash in on... Riz Hardwick's name. You know who we should really listen to and believe? Will Wheaton. Folks, we... <laughs> <laughs> the narrator of your favorite book, and also that book about Doom. Got him. Oh my... <laughs> Got him! Oh. <laughs> Were you sitting on that? How long have you been waiting to do that? For about five days. Oh. Got him! Jesus. <laughs> Oh, and he was just in Thanks an episode of Tales from the Crypt. All right, Parker, I'll let you go first. What have you watched recently? I have been to Redbox many a time this week. So, first off is The Strangers Pray at Night, which is the sequel to The Strangers that came out a decade later, for reasons. It is surprisingly pretty fun. Oh, there you go. Have, have you aware, or not aware... Are you familiar with the original Strangers, my friend? 
Nope. Well, oh. well, it's when you sit on your hand for about fifteen oh, minutes. Yeah. All right. I've done. I've done that. Uh, you know, a couple times. The Strangers is a movie that fucks me up deeply because I do not deal well with home invasion movies. Because as you know, I'm a humongous pussy. That is well established on this show. Now, so who's the idea invade your home. What do they want? Yeah. Steal your Funkos? <laughs> The idea of people wearing masks involving, in, like, just invading my neat nest, my lair full of <laughs> treats and toys, the one place I'm safe in this godless world and torturing me, like, I don't like it. That shit fucks with me. So this movie doesn't try and just duplicate that. It's essentially just more of just a slasher. It's got a great soundtrack. There's a great pool scene that's set to Total Eclipse of the Heart, which, I mean, that's made for me, essentially. It is surprisingly fun, and it doesn't even hit 80 minutes when the credits start. So, you know, you're in and out. It's nice. That's that's it's good. It, I mean, it sounds like a positive. Exactly. When you're getting a sequel to a movie that was made a decade earlier, don't try and write it out to two hours. Just get it in and out and give the people what they want. A solid, solid rental. Solid. S- solid. After that, I checked out a movie called Thoroughbreds, which I remember seeing a trailer for about a year ago and then forgetting it existed. Is Bojack Horseman in that one? Yes. Yes. It is. There's, you know, there's a lot of, a lot more ties than that than you would think. Oh. So this movie stars Olivia Cook, who you may know as Artemis from Ready Player One. <laughs> oh yeah, I definitely know who that is. Look, she's a good actress. Uh huh. But that is not a good movie. And Anya Taylor Joy from The Witch. And they're just two upper-class teenage girls in suburban Connecticut. Except one of them is a complete sociopath who feels absolutely nothing. And the other one's like, you know what? My fucking stepfather is a real piece of garbage. Just real dog shit. It's like, hey, what if... What if we just straight murdered him, though? I... That, that doesn't sound like appropriate conflict resolution. I mean... No, you don't know their life. That's a good point. You don't know what it's like to be a woman in suburban Connecticut. Indeed, no I do not. It's also Anton Yelchin's last movie, which I completely forgot about. And yes, it was uncomfortable every time he was on screen, because all I can think of is the horrible way he died. It's, uh... It's always gonna be rough. I'm sorry. As if Green Room wasn't hard enough to watch on its own. You add that on top of it. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. Now, you may remember last week I told you how garbage Insidious Chapter 3 was. Buddy, your friend is back with Insidious, the last key. Why? Because I was getting breakfast at the grocery store, and it was at the Red Box, and that's how I make decisions in my life. They need to remove that thing, don't they? No. I need the content. <laughs> so, here's the thing. It's better than Part 3, so that's something. I mean, honestly, there's not that much to say. Like, it's the fourth Insidious movie. You know what it's going to be. It's going to be a lot of jump scares, a lot of ghosts. I was sort of interested because the director, years and years ago, made The Taking of Deborah Logan, which is one of my favorite found footage movies. Mm-hmm. And this is fine. It's got a cool monster design and everything. And it's honestly, like, pretty good. But the ending sucks so fucking hard. It is the worst, cheesiest, most garbage-ass ending I've ever seen. And it honestly ruined the entire movie for me. So, good job everyone involved. You nailed it. Turns out when you release a horror movie in January, there's usually a reason. 
Oh, can't so. imagine why they pushed this to January in place of Happy Death Day. Cannot imagine why that choice was made. Oops. Now, buddy, we got a lot to talk about here. All right. Because I finished Twin Peaks. Yes. Well, okay. The, How was that? The final original episode? series. I don't know. I don't know what the final episode was, Chris. <laughs> yeah, it's supposed to be. That's that's part of the fun of it. This is one of the episodes that really just shows just how avant-garde you get a with a director like David Lynch. I love that episode. I literally cannot believe that that episode aired on network television 20 years ago. I know, and then to imagine the wait for, what, 25 years? I've got that Blu-ray set of The Return sitting on the old coffee table out there waiting to get busted into. But there's more. So I also watched Fire Walk With Me. I did not do what you did. I did not watch the three and a half hour version, (laughs) because why would I? Parker, I, I make some very, very bogus decisions, man. It's awesome to me <laughs> that you've like been this huge fan of the show the entire life. You run on the internet like, yeah, this version's the best one. And you're just like, well, all right, I guess I'll watch this. I trusted the fans, and boy, was that a bad <laughs> For a decision. Fool. That so, wrestling uh, match, boxing match between that redneck sheriff and that FBI agent goes on for, <laughs> I think, approximately seven hours. I would love to elaborate on that, but that's not in the cut I watched, friend. That, That's all for you. So yeah, the whole first half hour of this movie... The fucking thing goes on forever! (laughs) The entire first half hour is those cops investigating... Was it Teresa? Is that her name? Yeah, Teresa Max. Yep. I didn't even have to look it up, I just know They just cut to Twin Peaks, and the the music starts playing, like, Oh, here's what you actually came for. Sorry. Dale Cooper's in the movie for a grand total of 23 seconds. <laughs> running around, Just, looking in a camera. Then David Bowie shows up and starts talking like me. I didn't appreciate it. I, Spoilers, he, David Bowie's in the theatrical version for approximately two minutes. Oh, he's in so the... So if you want to elaborate on what the fuck happened, that'd be great. He's in He's in the uh, director's cut fan version for two minutes and one second. Oh, okay. So it makes a lot more sense that way is what you're telling me. Yeah, he's... A Twin Peaks guy, I guess. Yeah, a lot of stuff. Like, ooh, excuse me. Pleasure. I will go back and watch it at some point, but I just didn't feel like it this I week. I like, don't know why you should. Now, you know who actually really likes this movie? This is going to seem a bit odd. My dad is actually kind of a fan of the movie. Man, you're, I cannot pin down your dad's taste. I know, as soon as I sent you that letterbox list, I'll, I'll tell you what, guys, I'll try to put it in the description. Maybe I'll remember it. Oh my uh, god, please remind me to post I, that. I made a letterbox for my dad, and uh, it's all the movies that he likes, so if you really want to get in with Bob Field, uh, these are the movies. There are two I left off, uh, Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me and Cheech and Chong's Up in Smoke. He Birth likes of a Nation. Movies. No, no, he doesn't like <laughs> It's it. historically important. No, he, I don't think he likes Birth of a Nation. But, uh... I don't think Too likes... long. Get to the good stuff. <laughs> that movie is actually about three hours long. I, I've seen it. Um, anyway, uh, I don't think he likes silent movies. But back to the point of this is he says it gives you more perspective on uh, what was happening in Twin Peaks. He said it was a good backstory. As to whether it was, I'm not entirely sure. There's one thing that Fire Walk With Me does that I really did not like, and that was the character of Bobby. I liked Bobby in the original series, but in this one, it, it makes him out to be very... Either he's a murderer or he's murderous. And the, in, the, in the show, he doesn't seem that way, or at least not early on. 
So he I feel like his character has changed some way. Fucking brains out in yeah. cold blood, like just straight executed when he was already down. Yeah. So like I, I don't know that just it changes the character significantly to me. And uh, this is not a spoiler, but in the new series, he joins the cops. I mean, well, that checks out. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I will say that uh, Cheryl Lee, that's who plays Laura Palmer, right? Yeah. Hey, she has an incredible scream. Yeah. Like, oh my fucking god, how did she not get a career? Just being in every direct-to-DVD horror movie. Yeah, she could have been a Scream Queen. And I will say this, uh, and I, I think you might agree with me, is she's a lot better in Fire Walk With Me than she is in Twin Peaks. Oh, the yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, she really gets a chance to like sort of like stretch it out, you know? This is what I can do. Whereas I think she was somewhat hamstrung by the series. I think she was just, she was kind of boxed in, you're going to do this, you're going to do that. Like, her best scene was her being murdered. Like you said, it's her <laughs> scream. But... In the movie, it's you really get to see what she's capable of, you know? This movie, it is good and bad things about prequels. Yeah. Because on the good side, like, I got more Ray Wise, which is always good in Twin Peaks. Because Ray Wise is fucking incredible. Hell yeah. But it has the problem every other prequel has, where whatever you imagined is going to be way scarier than the way they film her death. Yeah. You spend two years just getting these tiny, like, ABC sensor-approved tidbits, and your brain does all the work. You're like, oh, fuck, she was, like, tied up, and the birds saying, hurting me. And, oh, my God, all these just beaten to death. And just you see seeing it, like, the way that Andy cries over her dead body is enough, you know? It's like, oh, man, I can't... What is this going to look like? And then there's a fucking angel, and you're like, all right, whatever, man. Just whatever. I'm going to make you watch the three-and-a-half-hour version. I will eventually. Look, and that's the biggest thing, like, with this series and movie, with how bad the middle of season two is, if I looked at the numbers, I probably enjoyed less episodes than I hated. But I want to go back to the store and buy that Blu-ray set and just have it and just pick up, like, once every two years, just dive into it, marathon it. I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. Yep. You will keep coming back to this. Because there were so many chunks where I was just, like, actively not entertained. I was never scared. Nothing in the show ever scared I'm, me. Okay, now that surprises me. If I had watched this as a kid, I'm sure it would have haunted me forever. But Bob just going, and making weird faces. I don't know. That, that always gets me. I thought it was excellently filmed. Him climbing over the sofa? That didn't get you? His faces are just... Too silly. It's too broad. I'll I'll say this: it worked for me. Like, like, I was never scared by it. I hated most of the subplots. Oh, but I still want to watch more. Like, I still spent fifty dollars on the Blu-ray of The Return. I I still want to go back and watch it probably once I'm done with The Return to see what ties together. Now, The Return is very very odd. Uh, It's a lot of it's. I think it's very love it or hate it. Uh, I I think I fall very firmly into the Lovett camp. It it gets uh, pretty pretty bonkers. There's a couple quotable moments. It is very nice to see your favorite characters return, uh, fat and out of shape. But uh, <laughs> eh, what can you do? Yeah, Even in Fire Walk with Me, Leo shows up. It's like you got a little, a little something going on there. Buddy. Yeah, yeah, he does. He got a little trick up. Uh, but uh, there there was a scene that kicked me right off the return because it was too spooky even for me. It it all goes black and white, and this guy's talking about the water or something and he kills someone and it gave me nightmares for three days 
so excited. So uh, yeah, the fact that I was texting my mom about Twin Peaks this week, she's like, "Oh yeah, I just finished watching The Return again." It's like, mom, that's like eighteen hours. <laughs> yeah. So apparently, my mom has just been all in on Twin Peaks my whole life and never shared that with me. Yeah. So that's interesting. That that sounds pretty badass to me. All right, you watch anything else? Uh, let's see. Two more things. Oh, never mind. Just one more thing because the second okay. thing is Con Air. Right. So this might surprise you. But Die Hard is a perfect movie. <laughs> Die Hard is a very, is. very, very good movie, yes. My lady friend had never seen it. We watched Brooklyn Nine-Nine all the time, which references that movie like a heroic amount. It's like, you know I what? Hope so. Let's pop this on. God, that movie is so good. It's it's like, very well structured, yes. Like, you watch it, and it's great. And you don't think about it for a while, because, you know, it's an older movie. Yeah. You're like, yeah, I remember that being really good. And then you put it on again, and you're like, oh, no, everything is done perfectly. You get the full layout of the building. You know where everyone is at all times. Every performance is great. Just, mm-hmm. Man, what a fucking great movie. Well, I guess we have to ask the question. Oh, no. Is it a Christmas movie? You know what? Just let people... Let people say Die Hard and Gremlins. Just yeah, you know, being th- a dick you. online. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't count. It doesn't. None of this people matters. get worked up over this. People get really, really mad over this. And I understand. What else are you gonna I'm... say? The Grinch? Like Christmas movies fucking suck. Hey, it's a Wonderful Life. I love that one. That's a black and white. I've never heard oh, of it. God, fuck. Damn. Okay, so. Ladies and gentlemen, God, Parker so Parker finally got this. to me. He uh, waited all week. He showed me a show, and I thought, oh, I'll have to work my way through this. 93 episodes. Oh, jeez. Oh, there's a puppet in it. I don't like shows with puppets. And, uh, uh, well, folks, it has become such a big part of my life that it's got its own name, and we call this terror tale... Takes from the Crypt. <laughs> and uh, I don't know where I left off last time, but I got 29 episodes to talk about. I'm going to try oh, to be as quick you. as possible here. Don't, baby. Um, the first you one here run. is from season three. It is called Spoiled. Uh, this is the one where the woman is obsessed with uh, soap operas, and she really wants like the spicy drama of that lifestyle. So she hooks up with a cable guy. I had really hoped that. Uh, Jim Carrey would be in this. He is not. So it's going down. Yeah. Down, down, down. <laughs> the next one is Yellow. This one's interesting. Okay. And this is one of the longer episodes. It's got Kirk Douglas and his son Eric Douglas, who play Father Something. It takes place in World War One, And it also has Dan Aykroyd and Lance Henriksen. I can say this about a TV show. And it's directed by Robert Zemeckis, who likes puzzles. And it's a takeoff of Stanley Kubrick's 1957 black and white movie, Paths of Glory which you've never seen. And uh, this is... Major a... Glory, like from Dexter's Lab? Yes. And yeah, I've this, seen that. Yeah, this episode's actually surprisingly really good. And it's all about courage and, and uh, how to face your fears and stuff like that. This is not a horror episode. This is a... It, it's it's a drama, really. There's one death, one as far as I know. Yes, absolutely it's one of the very, better very ones. very, very good. So, <laughs> I can't, I'm so ready to talk about this one. This is episode four, uh, no, sorry, season four, episode one, None But the Lonely Heart, directed by Tom Hanks, who was in a couple other movies. Uh, Sugar Ray Leonard makes a cameo appearance as the Gravedigger. Anyway. Sure. Yeah. Why not? This has a con man played by a man named Treat Williams. Oh my god. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh man, I, I love Treat Williams. 
That's such a good name. Anyway, his basic thing is he uh, keeps hooking up with uh, different uh, wealthy widows, and he marries them, then kills them, then he takes their inheritance, and uh, he keeps getting messages telling him to knock it off. Turns out it was Sugar Ray Leonard sending him the notes the entire time. And you really like Sugar Ray Leonard in this. He's one of the better parts. Next up is This Will Kill You. Quick, uh, <clears throat> uh, we have to do a religious uh, sign of the cross here. Cleavon Little's last uh, performance, and he died four months afterwards, which is such a tragedy. He died of cancer, and he's one of the best parts of not only this episode, but the entire show. He is so much fun to watch. He is a really, really brilliant talent. This world will not see his like again. The next is on a dead man's chest boy I really did not want to see Yul Vasquez's bare ass uh, anyway it also has uh, Tia Carrera in it so I had to pay attention and Greg Allman uh, from the Allman Brothers dad's gonna wake up and run downstairs <laughs> so I'm talking about the Allman Brothers <laughs> I, I was really hoping that you just know them by heart oh wait they're from uh, Georgia this is the same place right Anyway, yeah, sure, whatever. It's nice seeing Tia Carrera. Uh, not great seeing Yul Vasquez and his ass. Uh, basically, he bad. gets a chest tattoo that will not go away. and uh, That he is a... how tattoos work, yes. No, like, you can get them professionally removed, and he nah. tries to do it, and it doesn't work, and it keeps coming back, and it's Tia Carrera, and he ends up going crazy, and I guess dies or something like that. Uh, next is Seance. This stars a bunch of people I don't know. Uh, what is this one? Oh, I don't even remember this one. I wasn't paying attention. Oops. Next is Beauty Rest. This has Mimi Rogers. They say an aging model. She looks about as young as I do. This, more importantly, stars Kathy Ireland. Parker, are you familiar with this young actress's work? That sounds very familiar. She was in the Mystery Science Theater 3000 movie Alien from L.A., Oh she goodness. has a top three most annoying voice on that show. <laughs> they talk about, like, the dumb blonde, and you've seen all these performances, you get, like, a really hot model, and you tell her, okay, do a stupid voice for this. None of them do as much of a stupid voice as Kathy Ireland. Every single word that comes out of her mouth is, oh, golly, I don't know what's going on. I could take it to a... No, dude, it's... I'm so happy she gets killed. It, oh, Jesus. No, really, she's like, oh, it hurts me deeply. The next is an episode I've been waiting to talk about. This is called What's Cooking? This stars Christopher Reeve, Judd Nelson, Meatloaf. I know what you're wondering. Who isn't in this episode? It also has Bess Armstrong. I don't know who that is. So, basically, there's, like, a failing restaurant, and Christopher Reeve is running it. Yes, that Christopher Reeve. And, uh, anyway, Judd Nelson is hired. He's, like, a kind of a drifter, and he decides that he's going to cook human meat. Ever see Sweeney Todd? It's kind of like that. And, uh, anyway, they get caught doing it, and this, usually the episodes, it's kind of like the pulpy sort of thing where it's all about, like, justice and morality. Oh, hey, treat boy. Um, and... Yeah, yeah, anyway, uh, it's like, what if we, uh, you know, kill this? Judd Nelson's guy is the one who's been murdering and serving up uh, the uh, fried meat patties that are from human flesh. But anyway, uh, Christopher Reeve and Bess Armstrong are the ones who have been serving them, so they should get justice, right? No, yeah. they burn Judd Nelson's face alive on a <laughs> stove. It doesn't really... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it was so good. Yeah, that this is one of the ones where it doesn't really follow any sort of justice. 
Next up is the new arrival. This has Twiggy and Robert oh, Patrick. Funny. And uh, this episode. And Alex's mom Zelda. So uh, a daughter. <laughs> it's a, a radio show, right? And uh, he. This is this is a weird one. I think you like this one a little bit more than I do. He oh, goes I don't know the, if it's good. But it got but, you, uh, right? It got you. I mean, if you want me to step all over your segment here... Please do, go ahead. As I've said before, like, yeah. this show was syndicated all the time. Like, the Sci-Fi Channel would air marathons of this shit, edited down to, like, a nice TV-14. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, your family was famous for the old DVD-R. We would just <laughs> let that VCR run all fucking day when these marathons were well, on. We, we would so, do that. <laughs> there was one tape that had, like, six episodes on that I just watched over and over. I mean, this one... Because this aired back in, like, what, 92? Yeah, this was so 92. There were reruns. I was probably, like, at most, like, 9 or 10. So when they take that fucking mask off of that girl... Ooh, buddy. And combine that with Zelda Rubenstein, who I had not seen Poltergeist. I don't see her and go, oh, that's the lady for Poltergeist. There's just this ghoulish woman talking in that voice, and then a monster child. This one fucked me up. She's almost badly. as short as Cam. <laughs> Little green ghouls. Yeah. <laughs> All are welcome as long as you're six foot. <laughs> All right. All right. Next episode is called Showdown. Uh, this is this is by Richard Donner and Frank Darabont. Maybe you've heard of them. Uh, oh my God. This is a western. It's not a horror episode. <laughs> it's good. There's a there's a ghost, but it's not a horror episode. But that, that doesn't mean it's bad or anything. It's pretty good, actually. Now, this one, actually, the, this is called King of the Road. And it's, it's directed by Tom Holland. And it's got young Brad Pitt in it. I don't like this one. Uh, no. For one particular reason. This is not from Tales from the Crypt. It's uh, it's sort of based. On, it's this is an original script, so oh, it, it no, kind of feels you. like a cheat, you know. I don't yeah, know. I'm, I, I, I'm not really. Cool, cool. I don't no really thanks. Yeah. Uh, next up was Maniac at Large, in which a librarian becomes obsessed with a serial killer and believes that she is his next victim. This is one about paranoia, and it's it that one's pretty good, but I like the next one better. Parker, let's talk about <laughs> split personality. Oh, I've waited weeks for this moment to come folks joe pesci is one of the greatest actors in human history period he's made two bad movies home alone and home alone 2 but everything else he's done has been solid gold he is just so good and this is a show tales from the crypt where they've got a million great actors but he's one where as soon as he's on screen like oh we are witnessing a cut above he is just extraordinary and boy he's a lot of is so fun to watch. So he's going to like, oh, there are these reclusive twin sisters that live in this really nice house. Very nice house. I like the house. Just in case you didn't understand as to whether I like this house, I really like the house. Uh-huh. And uh, anyway, he's romancing the both of them, and it's the most obvious. He's really funny in the episode, too. All right, he is hysterical. Anyway, he comes up with his own twin personality, you know, the whole, like, Superman and Clark Kent leaving the room sort of thing, you know? And anyway, they catch on to him, and they catch him, and they, uh, they deal with him. Parker. <laughs> <laughs> I warned my sister that there is a bit more gore in this than usual, because it's HBO, they could get away with it. That ending. <laughs> it's so good. Now, 
on a production note, can you change the intro to our show so it has Joe Pesci just walking in the house and going, what the fuck is this shit? <laughs> Let's see if I can do it. He's so, so good. He is, uh, he is, he's my father. <laughs> and he's Cha- so Joe Pantoliani Isiomio is in this one too. Oh, but that's so much Italian. Holy shit. I know. They're, they're, that's too powerful. It's like everyone in this was born yesterday. Hey! <laughs> So, uh, Tales from the Crypt presents I'm walking here Yeah, so I also show my sister The next few ones are mostly ones I've shown my sister as well The next one is Strung Along This has, uh, it's a puppeteer with a creepy clown puppet Did I ever tell you my mom hates clowns? Ooh, I don't blame her Clowns uh, Went a little afraid, just didn't like them Because they were fucked up, you know? Exactly So she, you better believe she especially didn't like them When my brother and I insisted on playing Twisted Metal 2 around her so, oh my god. We're a great family. Terrible, and terrible little children. I know. Naughty, intractable, etc. So, uh, this this uh, puppeteer, the best part about this episode is it keeps you guessing. Even at the end, you're still guessing as to what actually happened. There's this puppeteer, and he can hear the puppet's voice in his head. He's like the Golden Age sort of thing. It looks very much like early, uh, early, um, uh, what's this? What's his name, the guy with the documentary coming out? Mr. Rogers, uh, sort of thing. Which, I will be saying that in the theater, by the way. Um, Hope you like crying in public. I do. And uh, this guy... <laughs> mixed up. This guy, uh, Donald O'Connor. Oh my god, Donald O'Connor! I, that's a really famous guy. I didn't even notice. He's that guy from Singing in the Rain. What the fuck? Holy shit. That's awesome. This show has everyone. Is. Anyway. Uh, he's he's given a chance to uh, revive his act, right? So he walks in, and the twist, we think the twist, is you see the puppet stabbing his wife over and over again and looking at him. You're like, holy shit, holy shit, and he has a heart attack, right? Turns out that was all animatronic. Zach Galligan was doing that. And, yeah. <laughs> From Gremlins, Zach Galligan? Zach Galligan, that's the... Oh, oh my god, that's... <laughs> that was uh, so good. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I saw Boy, it's just a zoo in here. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, Zach Elgin, the one from Gremlins, uh, was controlling him the entire time. But then when he leaves, the guy uses the puppets to uh, kill his wife and this uh, new guy that uh, she was cheating on him with. It's fairly incredible. So, uh, and the ending is, holy shit, That's this is a good one to revisit, just in case you were uh, curious. Next one is Werewolf Concerto, which, unfortunately, I picked the ending a little too easily here. Uh, this episode has two black people in it. <gasps> yeah, I oh know. Oh my goodness. I know, you freaked out there for a second. Imagine what my dad was Were we watching the same show? Yeah, I know. Uh, this has Timothy Dalton, who I believe was James Bond at one point. <laughs> you are correct. Yeah, so, uh, anyway, uh, he's looking for a werewolf. He's a professional werewolf hunter, turns out he is a werewolf. And then he gets eaten by a vampire at the end. That's the twist. Oh my god, I just had an episode. I remember that one. Yeah, then we had uh, one called Curiosity Killed, which I didn't like that much. Uh, It has Margot Kidder, rest in peace. And uh, she plays a really, really really old woman, even though she was only like 45 in this. And my sister called it out, she was like, wait, I can tell she's under a lot of makeup. She's doing like the, I'm an old woman routine. You know, you're like, okay, like, I get it. Let's, you know. What are you going to do here? It's one of those things where they're going to get like a fountain of youth sort of thing. And so you, at the very end of the episode, you see her revert to her natural state. 
but unfortunately she slipped some to the uh, the killer dog as well. So the dog gets uh, younger and thus a lot skinnier so it can escape its restraints and it attacks her and kills her at the end. <laughs> it's a surprisingly great episode. <laughs> now on to season five, episode yes. one. Yes. Uh, as ye so. Uh, oh, I'm just kidding. No. Uh, <laughs> I can't do this. So I, I was. Let me describe it to you as I described it to my dad. Dad, this episode stars Ed Begley Jr. My dad starts laughing. <laughs> and Tim Curry. And Tim Curry. And in a special role, Tim Curry. And my dad, my dad starts laughing and says, Well, he's just one of the most talented actors who's ever lived. Now, I said that Joe Pesci was the best actor on this show. Tim Curry gives him three runs for his money. It is a very, very, very special episode. Um, I, do you know the name A.L. Katz? His name appears to be on this episode, like, all over it. And he, he wrote this episode. And I am so happy that he did, because this is incredible. Ed Begley Jr. is this really creepy uh, salesman, and he's selling, like, graveyard plots, you know, that old routine. He goes to some redneck house, which is all too familiar, living where I do. And it is populated by Tim Curry, who, and this is the interesting thing about uh, Tim Curry, is that I usually place him by his voice. He does a lot of voice roles, so you know that's Tim Curry when he's doing voice like this. Or some, hello, Eliza, bring the monkey around back, you know, sort of thing. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I just do every role for him or something. Uh, yeah, he uh, does not do his voice in this one. He, he tries really hard to suppress it, and I think he mostly succeeds. At first, when we saw the man, my sister and I didn't even know that was Tim Curry. We're just like, it says he plays three roles. When we saw his wife, we're like, I think that's Tim Curry. And then the light hit his cheeks just are like, oh my god, that's Tim Curry. And then you see him as the daughter. And my sister and I were going, oh my god, that's him. And we especially knew it when he started doing like the Tim Curryisms where he goes, <laughs> you know, just, just that's what you get that. him for, though. You not don't just get that. on Tim Curry to not do the Tim Curry inflections. Yeah, the, the other thing here is that uh, there's a, a little known line. <laughs> this is a line <laughs> my, my brother would have remembered. Because uh, this is, I, I don't know why, but it's just a Henry moment. And this is, I texted it to you, I don't know if you caught it. It's when the father figure says, Do you take cash? It's <laughs> so good. It is unbelievable. I <laughs> he just screams it for some reason. <laughs> but the POV struggle. I guess as he has to work up an I, erection. I have to, to say it. Huh? I guess we have to talk about it. We so he's to. he's kept captive by this redneck family, and they're gonna kill him. He's like, how do I find a way out of this one? <laughs> I'm in a real pickle he now. All my smooth-talking salesman jive isn't working. He decides to romance the farmer's daughter. But what if the farmer's daughter is Timothy J. Curry, dressed up very poorly as a woman with shitty makeup and, like, the most disgusting chin jowls you've ever seen in your life? Tim Cur Curry looks like he was just fished out of the river. He was murdered <laughs> six days ago. He looks so vile. You can smell him through the standard definition screen. It's so gross. And yet, Ed Begley Jr. is able to work up 
a little old hard hard on and uh <laughs> like you can't just gloss past it like the soundtrack is swelling up with dramatic manic music as he's closing his eyes and straining as the sound of a heartbeat yeah, rapidly yeah. speeds up until it all stops she goes i guess you do love me and it gets worse <laughs> because this is the scene where i get to sit i'm sitting on the low seat i look over at my sister's face on the couch and the look on her face as she witnessed tim curry lowering himself herself onto this man and hbo probably could have showed it and got away with it but thank goodness they have restraint and you boy do you see enough but that's not the scene that gets me the scene that gets me is the kiss on his cheek afterwards and then just go in his ear afterwards tim curry looking like mark large marge rides ed bagley jr to completion halfway into the episode it's so fucking good wonder why I'm single. It, now it's a color TV. At, <laughs> at some point, Ed Begley Jr. gets dispatched. This is... You know, there are so many top five episodes in this show. This show is really so should fun. be like a top 75. <laughs> uh, next up is As Ye Sow. Uh, I told my sister when this came about... My cheating poor wife. I saw the first sentence. Yeah, I know. I saw extramarital affair. Yeah. And I knew this cheating blonde bitch. Yeah, it has Hector Alonso. It is uh, that who my sister immediately called, oh, it's that guy from Princess Diaries. It also has (laughs) Adam West and Miguel Ferrer for three seconds. Um, anyway, he hires that guy from Law and Order, Sam Waterston, to uh, track down his wife to see if she's cheating. And for a second, you get really happy, but then he gets dispatched because he did hire a hitman. I'm like, that's you know, it's called justice. We move on to Forever Ambergris. <sighs> Parker. Yeah. You know, the best partnerships are about things we both like. I'm more of a Steve Buscemi guy. My sister's more of a Roger Daltrey guy. And then I looked up his site and laughed at uh, him being only five foot six. Um, <laughs> Steve Buscemi is so good in this episode. It is incredibly hard to look at when he. Yeah, uh, it's unpleasant. Yeah, it's it is. Cool. And boy, the way that they take out Roger Daltrey. <sighs> it is. It is quite haunting. But then we get Food for Thoughts starring Joan no, Chen. Hang on, I want to back you up for a second because that's a really good episode. So I checked it out, and it's written by a guy named Scott Rosenberg. You might recognize one of the movies he wrote, called Con Air, friend. Are you serious? Yup. No wonder they brought back Steve Buscemi. That man made this horrific episode in the real Con Air and gone in 60 seconds. Never heard of it. Okay, so we also have uh, Food for Thought. It has Joan Chen, who is... Oh my god. Yep. And her hair is even shorter in this. (laughs) Hey guys, I don't want to be on the show anymore. You just put me in a doorknob? Thanks. (laughs) Fucking whatever. Uh, Anyway, this also has Ernie Hudson. Uh, You recognize Ernie Hudson. He buried the lead. He should have led with that. Well, you see, that's the thing. is I'm more of a Joan Chen guy, but... uh, he plays a bad guy in this, which is a shame because uh, oh, he keeps like he does this thing with his tongue, keep licking his lips. It's really gross. Uh, I also got to teach my sister about Chekhov's gun because uh, you know Chekhov's gun, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, uh, this episode introduces a gorilla in the first act, so <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, someone is going to get dispatched by that gorilla. It's just the way these things work. Uh, anyway, Joan Chen is so beautiful. I, I just, I really wish that people would give her more credit for her acting chops, but she got, like, this, 
Twin Peaks and fucking Judge Dredd. Anyway, it's I like Ernie Hudson. She's a bad actress. Hey, Ernie Hudson is also a guy who's in a lot of bad movies. Ernie Hudson has been perpetually just shredded for like three decades of direct-to-DVD movies. Hey, do you need a sequel to like The Substitute where the big strong muscle man comes in, but you only have like $400 to spare? He's, I'm in. He's been in fucking Mr. Magoo and Congo. That's two Congo references. I'm proud of you. I know. Hey, here we go. This is a big day for you. It is. Uh, then we got People Who Live in Brass Hearses. This has uh, Bill Paxton as a crook with an addiction to butter. Oh, this one. <laughs> and his brother... Bill Paxton and Brad Dorf. And Brad Dorf. Uh, wait, who's the guy I kept confusing Brad Dorf with? Steven Dorf. Yeah, Steven Dorf. <laughs> Turns out they're very different people. Uh, anyway, the ice cream truck driver, the twist is he had a twin brother the entire time. It's really weird. Uh, next up is two for the show. Uh, a murderous husband, David Paymer, and a cop with his own marital issues, Vincent Spano, get caught up in a deadly game of cat and mouse aboard a train. Also stars Tracy Lord, survivor of the Tommyknockers. Uh, and we don't even get to see her Tommyknockers in this episode. Um, Got him. Yeah, up hey, duh, there we, we go. That's a wrap. We don't even need to talk Slam about Con Air. Uh, good twist in that one. Reminds me of the train scene in Paper Mario the Thousand Year Door. Good game. House of Horror, starring authority on all of nerddom, Will Wheaton. I forgot he was in this. I remember yeah. this episode also now, scaring the here's, shit out of me. Here's what, and also Kevin Dillon wailing on nerds. Yeah. Now here's what bothers me. First of all, it makes it seem like the neat shall inherit the earth. It's okay to be a jock, guys. Just saying. It's not. It, uh, it is. But one of the things that bugs me is uh, at the end, it turns out like the girls are uh, the bad guys, right? Uh, they're the sorority. It's, they're they're the bad guys the entire time. One of them says, uh, this is, uh, the Ghouls Club or something like that. They, 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 <laughs> you can't use that pun. That's the Crypt Keeper. He should kill them. That's uh, a good pun. Next up, uh, Well-Cooked Hams. This has Billy Zane and Martin Sheen in it, and it's the, no the Box of Death. <laughs> and all I could think about the entire time was, boy, I really want to rewatch uh, The Prestige. Hey, by the way, speaking of Billy Zane, guess who didn't realize that was him on season two? like his entire time there you know what i like about billy zane in that show first of all his face you know what i don't mm. like about billy zane in that show his musical his theme. scenes no his his <laughs> musical theme that oh sorry it's the music of your people that is one of the uh texas love songs i'm sure well geez i guess i just gotta take your virginity on my here aeroplane that was my favorite thing i was watching that with my ex and it was like my <laughs> third time i had seen it and i was like I, I quoted the line that she would say, not knowing that she was going to say it. Just, she would just be like, I'm a virgin. And it, and uh, she says that. And I'm just like, what? They just do it. Meanwhile, fucking Jack Nance looks on. He's just saying, they're like, ha, get you some. With a beer in his hand and a song in his heart. Next Ugh, up. kids. Next up, uh, Creep Course. I like this episode. Uh, this has Anthony Michael Hall from The Breakfast Club, and remember him in The Breakfast Club, he plays the nerd, and everyone was bullying him for, oh, you're a nerd, you're a nerd, so he decided to beef up, and then he became a jock in this episode. <laughs> it also stars Nina Siamasco, I guess. Uh, sure. she is drop-dead gorgeous in this episode. Uh, she, uh, she plays, like, the, the nerdy bookworm sort of thing. I gotta tell you... 
they, everyone talks about, oh, women who know how to dress right, they just look so beautiful. It's so much more impressive when a beautiful woman like Nina Siemensko can look frumpy on purpose. I don't know how she does that with, like, her looks, but it's incredible the way that she does it. Anyway, uh, she gets thrown into an ancient Egyptian, uh, like, fucking basement crypt thing by Jeffrey Jones, you know, that pedophile from the... Uh, it's yeah. such a shame. I know. Like, Jeffrey Jones is in, like, more good 80s movies than you can count. Yeah. And he's a good part in all of them. Yeah. But, like, fuck yeah. kids. Yeah. Anyway. I mean, sorry, you were great as the principal of Paris Bueller. But you want to fuck kids. Yeah, so. so. Can't Anyway, uh, so she then puts on a very Princess Leia, uh, Egypt princess sort of thing. And the implication here is that she fucks a mummy and then uh, blows a kiss towards uh, Jeffrey Jones and the mummy gets jealous and sticks that, like, that uh, thing that, you know, like the mummy people would, like, stick into your nose to pull out your brains and your guts and stuff like that. Oh, God. Yeah, and he does that to, to the guy and then her, her science project is just those two guys mummified. It's a great episode. That just reminded me of the Tales from the Dark Side movie that's also lucid based on DC Comics. Has a segment with a mummy starring Steve Buscemi. Hey! It's all coming together, folks. What? Mummy shit. Uh, and by the way, like, this episode is why this show concept just works, since it's just based on all these 50s comics, and be like, well, this one's just about a mummy that's just hidden in this teacher's house. <laughs> sure, whatever. <laughs> yeah. It makes sense. Come here, guy who's been in, like, hugely successful movies. You're gonna be the mummy keeper. <laughs> Uh, sorry guys if this is taking a long time, uh, but Takes from the Crypt I'm is the sorry. only thing that I have. Uh, if you guys don't like it, I'll, you know, let you skip ahead to when we start talking about Con Air. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll put it in, like, the episode description or something. If you don't like it, you should watch Tales from the Crypt. You, you really should. I, if it doesn't sound immediately apparent, this is a very good show. Uh, next is Came the Dawn. This has Brooke Shields. Yes, that Brooke Shields. Uh, and the twist is very Psycho-esque, I'll put it like that. Uh, next is Oil's Well That Ends Well. That's what you want. It has Priscilla Presley in it, uh, daughter of that guy, uh, Jamie. Played guitar, uh, Jerry Lee Lewis. And it also, more importantly, has John Cassier, who, uh, regular watchers will know, is the voice of the Crypt Keeper. And he even does the laugh at one point. And that warmed my cold little dead dried apple core heart. Uh, next is Halfway Horrible, which has Cheech Marin huh. and Clancy Brown, voice of Mr. Krabs. <laughs> uh, it was really great to see him. <laughs> it's just him coming across a dead body and me going, what the particle? Squid <laughs> word! <laughs> <laughs> He's the head of a company. I'm just imagining him sending out a memo that says, If you be wasting time, you be wasting money. And if you be wasting money, that's just sick. <laughs> and then the corpse is launched out of the chum bucket. <laughs> SpongeBob's so fucking good. SpongeBob's one of the greatest shows of all time. I'm going to revisit it and find the exact episode where it stopped being good. 
Um, you can just stop at season three. And you're pretty much you're good. You would know better than I would. You could uh, probably just tell me like, hey, when did the movie come out? That's, right, I think I'm gonna that's, stop there. Yeah, that's my hypothesis. We're gonna make this. You know what? We should have our own scientist man skit. You know, we're gonna do that. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh man, we're at once a month. We just take this child show. <laughs> this is when this show meant for babies isn't funny anymore. <laughs> I'm fucking in. I am in. I was born to do this. We're gonna fucking deconstruct Dexter's lab. I'm, mm. Ladies and gentlemen, gummy bears was no longer good as soon as it introduced <laughs> Gargamel. So fairly odd pairs belong in a fairly odd toilet. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. Okay. Uh, next up is Till Death Do We Part. Uh, Parker, I, I said that I only watched Con Air and Tales from the Crypt, but turns out I also watched a John uh, John Woo movie that only lasted 25 minutes and was part of Tales from the Crypt. A stud played by John Stamos, yes, uh -huh. Stephanie, he is Greek, uh, is involved with a female mob <laughs> boss, uh, Eileen Brennan, who looks like Diane Feinstein, and uh, it has Robert Picardo and Frank Stallone, so hey, I'm walking over Jesus. here. So uh, anyway, about partway through the episode, a young waitress that he's been canoeing with, Kate Vernon, is taken out to the woods and they're going to kill her, and they, they're even undressing her and humiliating her. And then she has a fantasy in her mind. This is the twist. See, uh, in fact, there's a twist within a twist. She, uh, she's like, oh, I'm going to take revenge. I'm going to kill all the bad people. And I'm going to kill Diane Feinstein. All this other stuff. And then she turns the gun on John Stamos to get all the diamonds and the jewels and stuff like that. And then, turns out, that was all a dream. She was just fantasizing about it. And John Stamos kills her. So it's not really horrifying at all. It's just... Uh, it's really more like uh, a John Woo movie, really. So, when he said John Woo movie, I was like, alright, I need to know who directed this episode. This was the first thing they ever directed, but they had just written Point Break. This show, as we've said, is so fucking good. Mm-hmm. Well, um, next up I will have season six, so I'm going to try to get through as much of that as possible. Um, then I will have the infamous season seven. Well, it's not horrible, but the cheating bitch wife gets ramped up to eleven. Oh, really? There's all. But the last episode's a real banger. Well, I hear that uh, season seven is really when it moves more towards Europe. They got like Bob Hoskins is in it. They got uh, Daniel Craig, Ewan McGregor, <laughs> Steve Coogan, uh, Eddie Izzard is in it apparently. Bobcat Goldthwait comes back. So. uh... That's pretty cool. And the, like, the final episode is uh, animated, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, after that, you know, I'll try. Slaps. Yeah, I'll try to get to the movies after that. Maybe watch the game show. Oh, buddy, that the movies that is that's required. That is an episode and a half. Okay, and you're not getting out of it because Bordello of Blood is horrendous because they had the budget, they had everything ready, and then they slashed the budget so they could pay Dennis Miller to star in it. Dennis Miller did not want to be in the movie or on set, and it shows. And also, the lead actress is a supermodel who cannot act with her fake teeth. Fantastic. Demon Knight, on the other hand, is an incredibly underrated 90s horror movie that has a bunch of great character actors and also Billy Zane is the bad guy. So that episode is happening. So I know we're almost an hour into this episode somehow, but... Uh, Worth it. Yeah, I gotta tell you one more thing here. Would you agree that Creepshow was a forerunner to Tales from the Crypt? Absolutely. Now, the one thing that's missing is the uh, Crypt Keeper. Now, folks, I haven't gone into enough detail here. I love the Crypt Keeper. The Crypt Keeper is one of my all-time favorite TV characters, period. He is incredible. He is the best part of every episode. I am completely serious. He is. I'm so glad that he bookends the episodes because 
sometimes I'm watching the episodes just to get to the end, just to see what he's going to say about it. But uh, I would argue this. Not only is Creepshow like the sort of anthology horror sort of series with little elements of comedy thrown in there by a very talented writer and a very talented director, but I would argue that the that uh, Cryptkeeper is in it. He's that really scary skeleton at the beginning who appears in the window. The only difference is he doesn't say anything, so he's kind of like, uh, think about the earliest episodes of Mystery Science Theater 3000 where some of the robots wouldn't even say anything and they just kind of look different. They, they just sort of appear there. It's, it's kind of like that. It, I think it's a bit of like a prototype for Tales from the Crypt. And Creepshow works and Tales from the Crypt works. Parker, are you ready to talk about Con Air for another three hours? I mean, I can just talk about Creep Show for another two hours if you want to. Uh, we've already got that episode, folks. Go check out our Creep Show episode. Uh, that's one of our better ones, I will say. I'm gonna make you do Creep Show too and tell us from the dark side. Here's a Creep Show. It's got, it's only like three segments. Two of them are good. The first one is horrendous and the longest, and it's first for some reason. Huh. Well then, uh, we don't talk about Creep Show three in this house. Okay. Oh, there's a third. What? Ladies and gentlemen, yeah. Con Air. So, Parker, I want to ask you a very important question that the start of this movie made me think about. How much, on a scale of one to five billion, do you respect our troops? I mean, if you know one thing about me, it's that I think all NFL players are cowards. Except, except... Alejandro Villanueva? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't think of Pat Tillman's name. <laughs> I almost said Charles Tillman. <laughs> oh my god. I can't believe Peanut Tillman was fragged by Friendly Fire. Oh my god. I thought Damn he it. was I thought he was the guy who got in trouble for all that crack that I realized it was Sam you heard. <laughs> I just wanna die, Sam heard. <laughs> okay, so Nicholas Cage, no, not that kind of Cage, is in this movie. But more, and the thing is, like we all talk about, oh, those Nicholas Cage movies with his ridiculous performances and stuff. And I think we can all sign on. This is a ridiculous performance. But this is, it keeps getting called a Nicholas Cage movie. I am likely to disagree, even though he's the lead actor and gets the most screen time and the most lines. I think this is more of a John Cusack and John Malkovich movie. I watch this for John Malkovich every single time I put it on. I mean, John Malkovich is incredible in it. But if you say the words Con Air, the first thing I think of is his wink while his hair is blowing. Oh, that's a good point. That is my immediate association every single time. Oh, that little wink that he gives. It's perfection he he's very good now this is a somewhat character driven movie and i do want to go into detail on this so i'm going to talk about the characters first and then i will get into the plot which i can recite almost line for line parker let's talk about cameron poe uh, discharged from the <laughs> army rangers i guess uh he gets called huckleberry in a bar now parker speaking as a southern <laughs> gentleman yourself is huckleberry like a slur against your people or something yeah, I mean, we just call each other. Only we can say it. Like, oh. I could call you my Huckleberry, but if you called me your H word, I would push your nose into your brain. Oh, that, yeah, see, I, I wouldn't dare do that. Now, uh. <laughs> do you think that's Nicolas Cage's real accent? Do you think he spent time with, like, a voice coach or something? <laughs> I know he's like, guys, I'm going to take this role very seriously. I'm just going out to Alabama for like a month. I'm going to get absolutely plastered. 
so I can really go method is Cameron Poe. Yeah, uh, which is a great name, by the way, Cameron Poe. He's great. Cade Yeager. He, he's got his wisecracks, and he's actually fairly well-educated for a guy with that fucking accent. Uh, I mean, uh, I mean with okay. the accent. He's obviously one of the more uh, uh, book-read uh, men of the South. And uh, he's, he's funny, and he's in great shape. He's really great in combat. Evidently, he could push a guy's nose into his skull. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's fun to watch in this. Our other friend, Alex, said that uh, this is the fourth best cage performance. I, I am willing to entertain that notion, but this movie is, for me, very easily, the best Nicolas Cage movie. Oh, I I have to go The Rock over this one. I'm sorry. I, I can understand that. I have actually not seen The Rock. Don't laugh. But, yeah. What? <laughs> oh, we have to wait 50 more episodes? God <laughs> damn it! All right, yeah, but Fuck, yeah, yeah. so good. Okay, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. But I'm so uh, mad. Before we get to the rest of the characters, who we will talk about, I need to tell you guys my history with this movie, folks. I'm not exaggerating when I say that this is my most watched movie of all time. I've seen Con Air somewhere on the order of six thousand times. This was on every single day when I came back from football practice, from my freshman to my senior year. On the USA Network, this was always on, literally, every single day. And every single time it was on, I was like, I might as well watch this. Every. Single. Time. And it was worth it. I Now I know the movie basically by heart, and I'm still entertained by this. People keep talking about, oh, it's so ridiculous, like the, the plane taking off and the cars tied behind it. Guys, this movie, you can take it seriously up to a certain point, and it is still very genuinely entertaining. A lot of the lines are very, very good. I mean, very great, I mean. Yeah, very great. I mean, that's some of, it, As a, some of it's over the top, some of it's ridiculous. I mean, it has to be. It's Jerry Bruckheimer. But uh, a lot of this movie, you can just take in and sit with it, and it works out well. Now, the last time I watched this movie, we were loose acquaintances... Like, I wouldn't say we were close friends like we are now. I didn't know any of the lore about Dear Sweet Papa Field. And the entire time I watched this, all I could imagine was just his soft little chuckle after every single Dave Chappelle Indian joke. Okay, but those are so this funny! This movie <laughs> is full of jokes. Where, <laughs> like, the six-year-old dad goes, eh. <laughs> you that have no idea how hard movie. my sister and I laugh when Dave Chappelle looks at that guy and just goes, how? <laughs> Don't get all wounded knee on me. <laughs> the last like, Mohican is, is burdened. <laughs> this is the most dad movie. Maybe in recorded history. Uh, I like, it's up there. I don't know. The Milagro Beanfield War is something he would enjoy. <laughs> uh, but, um... Yeah, this, this is good. And, you know, it has jokes that I guess you couldn't get away with because, uh... I mean, you make the jokes about triggered lib cuck stuff like that, but I, I think it, one of the things that it does is it portrays jokes that prison uh, inmates would actually make, you know? I, I think that's one of the things that the movie does do very well. One of the characters is a uh, transvestite. In fact, we're jumping out of order in the way that we should describe the characters here, but let's talk about the character named Sally Don't Dance. Uh, <laughs> You can take this one. That's fine. Thank you. That's all you yes, I was, I've been waiting to talk about this. This is my dad's favorite character in the movie. Oh, 
Oh no! Uh, and he keeps saying that this is my sister. Uh, <laughs> she does not like it. She gets very sensitive. She's like, I'm not that guy. He's weird. Um, he, he's played by some guy with one name, <laughs> who was also in the movie Hackers, and uh, he is oh a, I guess, a transvestite. Prison uh, was unkind to him in some capacity, and. Uh, this guy makes my dad laugh every single time. He wears a dress. He's told to scratch a guy's eyes out. Uh, and uh, Nicolas Cage slaps him at one point. It's it's all a bunch of... Uh, I think it's a bunch of trans jokes. But then again, even with the trans jokes, it is, it is treated surprisingly maturely. Think about it like this, Parker. Uh, just with the same maturity that David Duchovny's character was treated in Twin Peaks... The prisoners all treat this trans character by her preferred pronoun. They treat her respectfully. No one lays a hand on her without her permission. Hey, look, I may eat people, but I'm not some kind of disgusting transphobe. I'm just That's saying. I'm say. 1997. I'm just saying. So uh, let's get back Simon to Simon West, notoriously woke. Evidently. Uh, so there's an... Did he do anything that was unwoke that I missed? Did he get me too um, uh, Let me just scroll through the old IMDb. I'm sure there's something he Okay, I'll talk about John Malcolm. Laura Croft, Tomb Raider. Oh, there Oops. we go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> first yeah, great. Uh, John Malkovich is one of the greatest actors of all time. He is on the same level with Joe Pesci. He is absolutely incredible. I love him in everything he does. And in this, I make no bones about this, I think he should have won the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor. Completely serious. He is electric in this movie. I have not seen a performance like this in many moons. He, every single word, I'm just held, you know, enraptured to every single noun, verb, every single syllable that he says. I love him in this movie. It is his movie. Nicolas Cage happens to be in it. John Malkovich. That's what this movie is all about. I love him in this. This better be full and complete praise out of your mouth, young man. <laughs> I just wanted to say... This movie is very quippy. It is, but I like that shit. Yeah, but I, mean, I think it's quotable. That's very. You did just watch twenty nine episodes of Tales from the. Well, Earth. that's true. But that does make sense. But this is a very quotable movie. Think about. I mean, let's move on to my second favorite character in the movie, Steve Buscemi's Garland Green, the stuff of nightmares, and another guy who could have won an Oscar for best supporting actor. Holy shit, he's in the movie for five minutes, and he is, like, bone-chilling in this movie. Just think about it. He is a fount of misplaced rage. Name your cliche. Mother held him too tight or not enough. Late-night sneaky uncle aspect of kickball, you named it. Now, he's so angry, moments of levity actually cause him pain. Happiness for that gentleman hurts. What a great line! I will have some things to ask you about Steve Buscemi when we get into the actual plot, because I have questions. Oh, okay, good news. I know this I this entire movie front and back. So many questions yeah. when we get there. He is electric, and every single shot of him is terrifying. He he's a <laughs> scary, scary guy, and we had ju and my sister's like, you know, I feel kind of bad that it took him so long to break into Hollywood just because he looked kind of weird. And you know what? I will say this, and before we get any further about Steve Buscemi, Steve Buscemi is one of the great living Americans for two reasons. One, 9-11 happens. He drives over there as a volunteer firefighter and refuses all photography and to help the, the victims of 9-11. Second, he wrestled in high school. There is no higher praise for a man. <laughs> I have to say, I was never quite intimidated by him in this movie. 
Because I just know him as Steve Buscemi. Oh, because you know him as Donnie in fucking know Le- Big as Lebowski. Any, as anything but Big Lebowski in every Adam Sandler movie from the 90s. Oh, it's a shame. This is actually, this is my introduction to Steve Buscemi. I know him from this movie. Like, they wheel him in in the Hannibal Lecture mask. How do you do, fellow murderers? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I can't. I can't unknow. Oh, all I know that's about a shame because I think the I think the movie does a superb job, a fantastic job, even of setting him up as a crazy psychotic killer. I I think the way that the faces that he makes, the way the camera plays, even the lighting really adds into it. Uh, we also move on to Billy Bedlam. I never really liked Billy Bedlam. I forgot he was in. Yeah, exactly. He's like when they introduce him, they're going through all the people as they're boarding. Like. Who the fuck is that guy? Now he's yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, he's the guy who gets you know killed, and why couldn't you put the bunny back in the box? But they stole that kill from Commando. <laughs> Let off some steam, oh, yeah. Bennett. <laughs> <laughs> he dies so violently for this yeah. silly movie. Yeah, uh, Billy- this movie has like a three or four just gruesome deaths that do not match its tone whatsoever. Ah, pinball. Yeah, so, uh... Oh, let's <laughs> we'll talk about... There. Let's talk about pinball. Pinball is played by Dave Chappelle. My sister, I think, was like, that was Dave Chappelle? And I was like, oh, I don't <laughs> Dave think... Dave Chappelle's looked the same for 20 years. So I know. Confused. <laughs> I don't know. I sh- I've showed her. I'm pretty sure I showed her the, uh, the, the Rick James sketches. <laughs> and the, the Prince sketch. The fact sketch. that you had to show her, I'm sorry. I, uh, she was at it. It was a different era, all right? When I was in <laughs> high school, you had to quote those uh, those scenes line for line, or else you just weren't in you on the football team. You would talk about quoting something line by line. No, it's, it's this movie. It's the Prince sketch. <laughs> <Yeah>. Spoilers. <laughs> yeah. Fuck you, out. <laughs> anyway. Uh, Would you guys like some Doritos? <laughs> <laughs> They made us pancakes. <laughs> but, uh, I wish I could say the same for you and your airplane full of flunkies. <laughs> That's good. Uh, <laughs> next time we move on to Danny Trejo, a.k.a. Machete, as uh, Johnny 23, Johnny 600, yeah. if they knew the truth. Can we talk about this? Yeah, let's... Uh... This light-hearted action comedy full of one-liners and silly over-the-top action. It's like, yeah! I rape women a lot, and I'm gonna rape this fucking broad as soon as y'all turn around. Like, okay, movie. Well, the good news. What are we doing? The good news is that even the worst guy on board hates rapists, and it's the movie makes very clear that this is one of the sickest guys in the bunch, and he gets his comeuppance, and we're all happy about that. But just like, there's an hour's worth of tension of just her chained up, and just like. I swear to God, I'm gonna get free of these cuffs. Well, I, I think it's you. effective. I think it's effective, and the good news is it never actually happens. I don't want to think about rape while watching Simon, fucking Cameron Poe, <laughs> Ving Rhames, and John Malkovich. I want to think like, boy, I, I sure hope Uncle Machete doesn't rape this woman. It's Machete, and anyway, he doesn't get it, so it's it's okay. Don't worry about no. it. Don't watch this again so in HD, good. and you're gonna have a good time. Let's talk about Ving Rhames. Ving Rhames plays Diamond Dog Page, and he is, uh, so we get to the beginning of the episode where, or the beginning of the movie where he's introduced, and he's talking about, uh, um, he uh, blew up an NRA meeting because it, uh, represented the, uh, worst parts of the white race. Uh. Huh. Uh. Well. Uh, um, Oops. jeez. Uh, 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 they're talking to Denzel for the movie. Ah! A real-life actor. I know who that is. <laughs> I've heard of that, yeah, John Cusack. So, uh, hey, ask John Cusack about this movie. Is John Cusack okay? He fucking hates this movie. He hates which the is weird. best movies he's been in. He hates this is, and Better Off Dead, which is his only other really good movie. 
What do you consider the last decade of directed DVD movies he's been in? Maybe don't be such a chode about it. He's he actually is insane. I don't know if you've seen his Twitter, but he is fully off the rails. He's an actual crazy person. Oh, so really hoping John Cusack was having a normal one. Oh, he's extremely regular right now. Um, so online. Which is a shame. So I will say that. this. John Cusack plays Vince Larkin, and he does a really good job in this movie, right? Yes, him and his ill-fitting suits have a lot of quips. That's a good point. His suits don't fit very well, but uh, I, I like his character. I think he does a really good job. Uh, we also have the character of Babio. Why was Babio oh behind bars? I mean, I guess he's black. Let's oh, be honest. Oh, I forgot. <laughs> uh, there's another character we got to talk about. Let's talk about Swamp Thing. <laughs> this fucking oh Creed and its Clearwater revival character in the front seat. <laughs> Given one line at the beginning, just say that's right over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> I love flying. All right, cut. Just use that 18 more times. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> These That's right. Make me thirsty. <laughs> uh, it, Hold on. Buckle up. Rough landing. <laughs> We're going in heavy. All right, use whichever one you want. I'm going home. Okay, so basically let's talk about how the movie progresses. So, Nicolas Cage as Cameron Poe. Mm-hmm. gets discharged from the army rangers and uh in a drunken brawl accidentally shoves a guy's nose into his skull kills this guy <laughs> and somehow only gets seven to ten years after the guy yells because a pussy's like you that we lost vietnam how conflicted do you think my dad is with a line like that <laughs> well i mean he's got a point i mean he's too sensitive however we do respect our troops <laughs> That's very much a- i respect him more if he had a necklace full of little ears on it though. one there's you know, like maybe. one there's a devil on one shoulder and a devil in a led zeppelin <laughs> t-shirt on the other shoulder hey, put some elbow grease into napalming those villages oh, and there we have this conversation <laughs> take care of your woman nicholas <laughs> anyway uh so he he's gets stuck in prison and his hair grows longer and longer he sends letters <laughs> home way, to his daughter. And the judge is just like, well, you're like a weapon of mass destruction. You're too fucking powerful. So instead of one year, you're getting ten years. Get out of my sight, you fucking Phil. Thank you for your service. <laughs> he gets an extended sentence for being too powerful. Yeah, which they're supposed his to do that with arts, superheroes. His martial arts are so strong that <laughs> they give him an extended sentence. For murdering a guy with his bare hands. It's like an extra long in-school suspension because you were too good at cheating on your math homework. So exactly. the uh, so he's writing letters home to his wife and daughter, and his southern Dear accent is, is so powerful in this movie. He sounds like one of those uh, southern Civil War generals, you know. <laughs> uh, my dearest Lola Bell, my love for you is like two fireflies in a mason jaw. In fact, if we're going to be honest... He sounds like that fake Andrew Luck Twitter account where he's like a Confederate <laughs> general. It's like, my dearest Bill Belichick, your New England Patriots have deflated the footballs and we will not allow such shenanigans. You know? So that's him the dearest entire time. Chris, I think of posting always. <laughs> I have never been rad, red, nude, or mad online. I can't wait to see you. 
in real life if you're willing to step up and fight me. General Go Jim Ursay showed up in the locker room with a brown paper bag. We are not yet familiar with the contents of such a container, but the men have been elated. <laughs> so, uh, like, yeah, he sounds like this. This movie for the entire in the first movie. Five minutes, like we get an Evil Dead POV tracking shot through a flaming prison riot, and he's just like, "I sure do miss the taste of the Cool Ranch Doritos and the pink donuts you sent me. <laughs> they have made me very pop. They have made me very uh, popular among my fellow inmates." <laughs> Check off sugar as he hands it to Baby O. Oh yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Ha! Uh, huh, thank you, Cameron. These will be good for my diabetes and for our budding friendship. Well, back to mopping. <laughs> so, uh, here's the th- one thing about this movie is it went through a number of rewrites to the extent that it actually kind of pissed off John Malkovich, who decided to not bother learning any of his lines because they would just be changed anyway. The one thing that I will say about this movie is that it is extremely clumsily edited. I don't know if you were able to catch this. Uh, yeah. I got a couple of examples. The very first one comes very early in the movie where he's talking to Baby O, and he's just like, oh, well, shucks, I will be getting out of here. I am paroled. And uh, Baby O's like, geez, I wish someone would have him like that to me. And it's like, he's like, don't worry. Then all of a sudden he goes, oh, wait, I'm going home, and hugs him. It's like, that is, <laughs> you've missed a couple of lines. I'm going there. home, and hugs him, crying. And it's so good. Yeah, it's, uh, like I said, it is very sloppily edited, and it kind of shows at a couple points which is a shame like uh, there's there's one point where uh uh what's his name uh, john malkovich calls david chabelle a dirty negro crackhead and oh the rejoinder to that is hey you didn't mean that dirty n-word cracker stuff and then he says hell yes i meant it they obviously said two different lines it got changed <laughs> somewhere in editing and it's a real shame. Hey, can we not have John Malkovich say the N-word, Yeah, please? I think he probably put his foot down as like, uh, no, I'm not going to say that. And he's terrifying in this movie, so... Uh, yeah. Or it's funnier to think that John Malkovich just ad-libbed it. I, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> Dirty crackhead, like, uh, cut. The line was just black guy. John, are you cool? Oh, sorry, I didn't read the script today. Sorry, <laughs> I was too into learning my lines. And you're like, oh, you know, okay, I'll just get you the next second. John's not here right now. You're speaking to Cyrus. All right. <laughs> All right, let's get back to the next scene here. From the top, people, take 12. So uh, he is getting uh, scheduled to go home. He's going to see his daughter after 10 years. And... Additionally, he will be going home with some new friends. His uh, obvious friend, Babio, who is diabetic. Let's not forget that. And uh, a couple people. We got uh, Diamond Dog, Billy Bedlam, and Cyrus Grissom, a.k.a. Cyrus the Virus. <laughs> Cyrus is so fucking good in this movie. God, I love him. Cyrus the Virus, is... Diamond Dog, and Chad Thundercock. <laughs> Call him Billy Bedlam, come on. And no. uh, they all get on the plane, and uh, they are able to take it over, and they love smack dab in the middle. And it's a really intricate set piece where they're like they're puking up like their uh, little needle, get things out, and Dave Chappelle actually sets a guy on fire, and uh, <laughs> there's all this stuff going on, I really like all of it, and they, he steals the gun, it's really cool, and uh, the one thing that kind of ruins it is like they, or enhances it in some capacity, is they knock down the medicine container, <laughs> and someone <laughs> accidentally stops on the insulin and baby knows it, well there's gunshots flying around and people are getting their asses, hey man, get off my insulin! <laughs> <laughs> so fucking clumsy and boy i've seen this movie a couple times that has nothing to do with anything <laughs> nothing in this movie changes if baby o isn't in it 
Well, sort of, although you, I do realize that uh, Poe would have stayed on the plane just for that female guard. It's almost like they wrote that part in later. They're like, oh, fuck. I mean, like, we cast him and everything. Like, we've already started shooting. We can't just, can't just cut all that. Oh, well, yeah, this, just leave them both it just in. means another inch in Nick's hair. So He's just a double good guy. Yeah, now, behind the scenes, was his name uh, Frank Meany or something like that? Uh, decides to uh, put one of his DEA agents on board so they can uh, connect with this guy named Sentino and try to get some information out of him. And it's going to be really tough for him, and he's on there with a gun. This guy gets murked. And in the process, Cameron Poe accidentally ingratiates himself to... Uh, Cyrus the virus. So it, one of the things that works really well in this movie is the complexity. You see that he's tr- kind of trying to play both sides. He's trying to get off this plane and work with the good guys, but he has to act like he is a uh, quotation mark here model prisoner. And I, I think it's really interesting. See, one of the things about the complexity about this movie is I'm going to contrast it with the best action movie ever made, Mad Max Fury Road. Mad Max Fury Road works very well because it's so deceptively simple. I mean, there's obviously a lot going on behind the scenes, but it's mostly a pretty easy idea here. It is a car chase. You're going to pay attention to what goes on here. Whereas there's a lot of extraneous scenes that don't really affect the overall main narrative here, but they add color to it. And I think that's one of the reasons that I like Con Air so much is with all these disparate characters going on, I really like it just for their own little scenes. Absolutely. Like this movie is nothing without its cast all coming together. Mm -hmm. Like the casting is spot on. Except for Billy Bedlam, who sucks. Who is, uh, um, she uh, killed eight people, I guess? Sure, wow. And the dog. Oh, crazy. Yeah, also Johnny23 is on this, and he doesn't rape Sally Bishop, thank goodness. Um, but uh, kills dogs, or is he a cop? So they land Got at, him! So they land at Carson City, <laughs> which has uh, a sandstorm going on, and boy, this is just more and more great lines for, uh, for Cyrus the Virus, you know? And he transfers the prisoners off, and he's able to, like, get the guards off to take the place of some of the uh, people who were shot. All in all, it's some really brilliant work going on here. And one of the things that makes me think about this here is uh, we've had a lot of debate about the criminal justice system in the United States and the, the state of our prisons. I actually studied criminology when I was in college. And uh, it's, it's a very interesting subject, and it makes you wonder about criminology and why criminals are the way they are and why they think the way that they do. And there are some decent debates and good points made all around over here. It's like, sure, uh, Cyrus Grissom is a psychopath, but he he is described as Vince Larkin as a product of the system, and one is inclined to agree. 39 years old, 25 years spent behind bars, you can really say that he is a poster boy for uh, what the criminal justice system does to people. You are putting so much more thought to these characters than anyone did making this movie. You say that, but I, d- I, I really can't agree. I think that you don't write a line like that uh, unless you really mean it. Although there is one line that's completely wrong here. Think about it like this. <laughs> you just contradicted yourself. You don't write a line like that unless you mean it. Except for this one that's there entirely wrong. There is one wrong. <laughs> wrong line here. One wrong just line. Just the one. Which they could have done a better job with. I think they really could have fixed it. 
it's uh, the one that uh, Sally Bishop says, where he talks about, I just want you to know I need to be seeing my daughter. And, and she says, is that your real voice? I mean, uh, well, what we have here <laughs> is failure to communicate. Wait, no. Hold on. What's on one, one, two, three. Oh, yeah. What we have here is a uh, model for rehabilitation. What exactly was Nicolas Cage rehabilitated for? Nothing. He he killed that guy in self-defense. He he I would argue he did nothing wrong. That guy came at him with a knife. Even they even show a scene of the guy taking the knife away so there'd be no evidence that it was in self-defense. Real clever there. But uh more importantly than anything else, he was not rehabilitated and the movie never makes it clear that rehabilitation is even possible. So I think this movie <laughs> It's almost like prisons don't work as rehabilitation in real life well i mean that is almost one of the central theses of uh of criminology is that rehabilitation through prisons happens extremely rarely and it's mostly due to the i'm sorry i don't want to get too hard into uh some of my thesis papers over here but uh yeah you know, dearest Chris, I feel rehabilitated. <laughs> uh, with all these pink coconut doodongs he sent. What do they call coconut <laughs> snowballs? Coconut snowballs. Uh, oh, the men seem to like the coconut snowballs. I will never shove another man's nose into his skull. <laughs> anyway, so uh, I have learned from my mistakes. Next time my wife is attacked, I will tell them to stay in their ground. Give me a sec. Oh, what's your mic doing? Yeah, there you go. Come on. Fucking things. I will no longer use violence in retaliation. I will teach my wife Krav Maga. <laughs> she will be forced to defend herself due, through trial by combat. I got myself a Krav Maga hat. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> oh my god. So they landed Boom. Carson Yeah, they landed. <laughs> I'm so upset. Uh, I, they landed Carson City and they pick up a bunch of new prisoners, among them uh, Sindino, who is the one who's bankrolling the entire effort. This is important. I think I only it only came together now. And I kept thinking to myself, wait, Pinball's off the plane. Why does he want to get back on? He can just escape now. Turns out Sindino's the one who's bankrolling this entire effort. This is the way that they're going to get to. Uh, drinks with little umbrellas and dirty naked freaks and uh he's the one who's got all the money so they're gonna get out of it through him and they're gonna connect it uh carson Center or whatever anyway uh they also have swamp thing who is the one who flies the plane very important and they take the transponder yeah, yeah. that's right they take the transponder and they put it in like that tour but in that tour plane which leads to a great scene with uh dave chappelle just him saying Hello, <laughs> to that woman and, and talking about. Oh, I was uh, I was working in civil erection, uh, corrections, and uh, <laughs> and then they're looking and Sedino's like, "Hey, where's the transponder? How are they going to track the plane?" And the guys like, they look and there's no transponder. And uh, fucking Cyrus just says, "Ah, where indeed?" <laughs> and it even has Garland Green, who has killed thirty people up and down the Eastern Seaboard, and has the best lines in the entire movie. Played by Steve Buscemi and is a takeoff off of uh, Hannibal Lecter, and that's right. <laughs> yes, that's right. He's he is uh, one of my favorite characters. Anyway, uh, the, the, uh, Poe gets caught up in like the uh, the landing gear, so it's dragging, so they're not going fast enough. So uh, Poe is charged to uh, kick him off the plane. He writes a little message to Vince Larkin, and he lands on a car <laughs> driven by whom? Oh my God. I'm so happy you told me to look out for this. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Bobby's dad from Twin Peaks. 
Oh, I died. The fucking general. Well, I do declare it is a mighty fine summer afternoon. <laughs> and then fucking Dave Chappelle's lifeless corpse lands on it. Parker, may I share something with you? A vision I had in my sleep last night, <laughs> as distinguished from a dream, which is a mere sorting and cataloging of the day's events by the subconscious. This was a vision. Fresh and clear as a mountain stream, the mind revealing itself to itself. In my vision, a black man was tumbling out of a plane <laughs> onto the hood of a station wagon from 1969 in the intersection of an L.A. freeway. And there seemed to emanate from this man a light from within this gleaming, radiant t-shirt. Upon this t-shirt was written a message to Vince Larkin. I had known this man. I had, in fact, been born and raised on his television show, The Chappelle Show, and this was my first return to one of his performances, a reunion with the deepest wellsprings of my being. Wandering about, I noticed happily that this man had been immaculately maintained. There had been added a number of additional... I can't even go any further with this, sorry. <laughs> As Bobby is sitting there the whole time, just crying. Enraptured. I love you too, Dad. <laughs> I love the Chappelle Show sketch with Rashida Jones. <laughs> <laughs> Kobe <laughs> Bobby now to make sure you get her to sign the confidentiality agreement so no one knows that you're a one pump chump Mayor Briggs how is the episode where he flies off the toilet as it explodes <laughs> exceptional <laughs> <laughs> These are damn fine pancakes. <laughs> Pinball's dead. Wrapped in plastic. <laughs> Can you, oh my god, remember the first episode where Bobby and Mike are behind bars and they just start barking like dogs? Can you imagine if they did that to Sally Bishop? <laughs> <laughs> just imagine at the end of the movie when John Malkovich gets his head crushed and his face just appears in the doorknob screen. <laughs> never smoking up again. Uh, Vince Larkin starts dressing up as a Civil War general. <laughs> oh man! I awoke. I awoke my, from my meeting in the Black Lodge. <laughs> oh my god! Imagine Cameron Poe <laughs> just sitting in that chair with his long hair. My dearest wife, she leaned in and told me who the killer was, but I could not remember. <laughs> can, no, can you imagine him in the in the White Lodge talking backwards in his southern voice? <laughs> I was looking for my southern margaritas. <laughs> <laughs> the Doritos are not what they seem. <laughs> I would very much like a mint julep. <laughs> <laughs> Those pink coconuts you like are coming back in style. <laughs> Holy shit! Oh my goodness, you're better at this than I am. <laughs> oh. Define irony. Bunch of idiots <laughs> dancing to just you and I. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> What's the song that plays in the beginning and the end? 
the shitty song that was written for this movie. This movie? I don't. Yeah, I don't oh, I don't remember what it is. Hey, let me. Oh, the "How Do I Live Without oh, You." Oh yeah, that that's song. right. Imagine that song over Leland Cry <laughs> <laughs> He's <laughs> jumping on a casket. <laughs> oh, at the end where they get on the police motorcycles and Bobby's just there next to him. <laughs> now you keep talking about him sounding like a Southern general. Is it the same Southern general that Ben Horn was pretending to be? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God, can you imagine if in Carson City, instead of getting Sally Don't Dance, they had gotten Nadine? <laughs> Jesus. She just fucking grabs the plane out of the sky. <laughs> Superman. Where they're digging the plane out, Diamond Dog is whipping all of them, she's just pulling it single-handedly. <laughs> and butting up way too close to Billy Bedlam. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, I never did ask you, who do you think should have won Miss Twin Peaks? I mean, we all know the correct answer is Audrey. Oh, I disagree. I think it should have been. Uh, it. I think it should have been Shelley. Shelley like actually had a character arc and like, hey, maybe I could win and get out of this shit awful town full of awful people that treat me terribly. Did you like how Audrey got murked at the end? Yeah, she just exploded. Yo, I really like that old guy who worked at the bank. He was my favorite <laughs> character. Oh, hey, Heather Graham. Nice to see you here for two episodes. Yeah. What the fuck do you mean she wins? <laughs> you think that was a little bit telegraphed? Yeah. Oh, well. Oh, that was really oh, God, weird. we didn't even talk about David Lynch showing up. Hey, guys, I'm back on my own show. Also, <laughs> I'm going to write it so this 16-year-old wants to fuck me and also lets me hear again. That's a great Is scene, cool? though. You are witnessing a three-quarter view. <laughs> I was like, I need more of this guy. <laughs> so, uh... <laughs> After David Lynch decides not to kill the little girl. Uh, oh, yeah. It's Con Air. So this, this is uh, actually one of my favorite scenes. This is another scene that has basically nothing to do with the movie, but it colors it in a very particular way. Just, first of all, Garland Green has the best musical theme. I think we'd agree here because it's just a bunch of explosions in the background. And him just sitting down at the most white trash like setting I've ever seen in my life. He just sits across from her and the audience is bound by a thread they're just like oh my god what is he going to do to that poor little girl and she doesn't end up getting killed but the entire possibility exists that she could have and the fact that he doesn't adds more mystery to his character in fact okay. even the possibility that he gets back on the plane why does he do it here's my question for you okay go ahead is that little girl real because yeah. it feels so disconnected from everything I assume that she is real. Because, that's a good question. I assume that she is real because he has the Ken doll with him. Like, is this little ghost child just standing there waving at the plane as it flies off? I'd, I'd like to assume that she is. I don't think this movie has an air of the supernatural to it. I mean, his accent is otherworldly. It, it is, but uh, to answer your first question about Garland Green, yes, that little girl is real. <laughs> so, uh, turns out Sandino was... <laughs> I don't want to do the Twin Peaks thing anymore, but I just imagine okay. saying Garbanzonia or whatever that word is in that voice. Garbanzonia? What? Whatever the fucking fake word is in Firewalk with me. Oh, I don't even remember. That has to do with pain and suffering. I don't remember. Eh, cut it. Whatever. I didn't even get it right. Yeah, that was weird. It's not a real word. It's okay. David Lynch's 
David Lynch. Oh, did they have that scene with that weird woman at the beginning and she's like pursing her lips and she's wearing sunglasses or something and the FBI agents are supposed to uh, like interpret what her signs mean? Yes. God. What the fuck was up with that? That's a good question. I don't have an answer for you. Okay. We'll, do, we we'll cut that. We'll cut that. On that movie. We'll just cut that. Anyway. No, I don't want to watch that again. I'm already really mad I watched that three and a half hour version. Anyway, so they're at Lerner Airfield. Fucking angels. And that's where they're supposed to get the plane that Sandino promised them. But Sandino played them. Sandino is a fucking moron. Of all the people that you try to play, you try to play Cyrus the Virus? <laughs> what a bad idea. And he gets burnt to a crisp. <laughs> Say the line. <laughs> Sai Onara. <laughs> he just incinerates him. It's one of the best one-liners in movie history. Yeah, it's it is real, real good. Uh, then Nicolas Cage practically ruins the whole thing. Well, hooray for the sound of fucking silence. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, uh, yeah. It turns out that plane doesn't look big enough to carry all of them anyway. So that's already a problem. I like to see where that guy runs away. He's limping toward. Hey, you idiots! Oh my God, prisoners! And runs away, and she just looks like, I hope you like sand. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good line. Every line in this is really, really good. But uh, oh God, one of my other favorite lines is, um, I don't, I don't know how I'm gonna get it. Well, it's like. Well, we know that uh, Nathan's opinions on law enforcement are well known, and my own experience of penal lore is well established and often lamented, but what I wonder is why you have any opinion at all. And Nicolas Cage follows up a great line like that with, Osiris, this is your barbecue, and it tastes good, but if I was you, I would wait till that big old jumbo jet in the sky came along and just... <sighs> <laughs> I just imagine that John Malkovich says the word proclivities in every single line of dialogue. <laughs> he is really such a good character. That it is, you know, this is your barbecue, and it tastes good. Which I have to admit, when it I tastes damn good. But what if we want for those there sky pigeons to be like, Vroom, and then we could get out scot free? I, I have to admit that I, when I was a kid, I kept trying to throw that "this is your barbecue, and it tastes good" line. I tried that on a football coach. He just stared at me. I was like, and then I like pause. I was like, I, I think we should throw it to Michael. <laughs> He's open on every play, sir. Take a lap, field. <laughs> yes, sir. I like taking laps. <laughs> so they they decide like, hey, uh, let's we, since we don't have a plane to get out of Lerner Airfield, we're going to have to find another way to leave this place. And they set this up with like the description. I was like, okay, considering my audience, I'm going to make this very simple. This is the aircraft. This is the fuel truck. What's that? That's a rock. It's <laughs> one of my favorite lines. <laughs> it's like, oh. <laughs> and anyways, this will be filled with lots and lots of dead people. Oh, you're you're not gonna. I can't sleep in my bed. I don't know why. Oh, I'm sorry. It's okay. All right. Uh, you won't bother me. <laughs> any more than usual. No. <laughs> anyway, um, <clears throat> so uh, that leads to one of the biggest action scenes in the movie. Now, Parker. Speaking as someone who's taken a number of film classes, you can, you've talked often, <laughs> and you've talked actually more than I usually do, about how to split a movie into acts. There's a, something called a three-act structure, and you actually know this better than I do. But I would contend, and I'll see if you back me up, as to whether this movie has some of the most clearly defined acts. The first act is all the stuff that is basically before he gets on the plane, right? 
and uh, everything leads up. And as soon as he gets on the plane, that's basically the second act. It continues up until the point where they start dancing to uh, uh, what's that? What's that band? Leonard Skinner. Yeah. Once until they start uh, dancing to Leonard Skinner, <laughs> that's where the third act begins. I think you would agree with me that that's the three act structure here. Oh yeah. Yeah. This movie tells you like the second you see Vegas, like, hey guys, the big finale coming up. Hey, no, everyone pay attention. Yeah. No, 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 put your phone down. No, it's, it's happening yeah. now. The, the movie's <laughs> happening now, guys. Now, I'll admit this. The movie does a pretty decent job of it. And I just, it's one of the all-time greatest lines in movie history to hear Gone Green say, Define irony. Bunch of idiots dancing on a plane to a song made famous by a band that died in a plane crash. The audiences in 1997 must have been hooting and hollering. <laughs> And by the audience, you mean your house. We have watched this and you so were, many in times. Fact, hooting and hollering. You hooted and hollered when you watched it last night, didn't you? Well, tonight, actually. That's not a no. <laughs> that is that is certainly not a no. We, we laughed, we cried, we sang merry tunes. Um, <laughs> also, at some point, uh, he kills Billy Bedlam. And by he, I mean Cameron Poe kills Billy Bedlam. Now, here's the unfortunate thing. Everyone quotes this movie specifically and almost entirely for that line, put the bunny back in the box. Parker, there are a million good lines in this movie. That put the bunny back in the box thing, that's nowhere near it. It's not even a top 15 line in this movie. It's not one of the best lines, but it's how deadly seriously it's taken. And additionally, the fact that they say it three different times... That scene is like the fucking rosebud scene of this movie. It is so critically important and with the most deadly serious. We're not joking. Put the bunny back in the box or I might have to hurt you with my <laughs> military kung fu. <laughs> and then he just fucking let off some steam bennets him right there on the plane. Hell yeah. So anyway, they get the insulin to Baby O. And then he gets fucking Great. shot right in the bread basket. Fucking, I was so goddamn <laughs> mad. It was like 90 minutes in and he finally gets his insulin. That they could have just given him on the fucking bus. And then he's immediately shot. I, I'd forgotten how angry it makes me. Yeah, well, here's the weirdest thing. I forgot after I took to my 600 first watch, Baby O lives. Like, who could care? I, well, okay. Good good point. However, like, how does he... He got shot in the bread basket. <laughs> Finally got my insulin levels up. Sure is a shame about all this blood I'm losing, though. <laughs> yeah, so, anyway, um, they're able to escape somehow. There's a really big action scene, and they're like, oh, let's just land this plane on the Las Vegas Strip. Um, and the first person to get out of the plane and get confronted with all of the uh, guns and stuff is Sally Don't Dance. Uh, <laughs> uh, God, it's a shame that guy never went on to do anything else of any sort of importance. Now he teaches an acting class. Do you think that's on his resume, this scene? I would hope every single semester starts off like that. I, I would hope so. Uh, anyway... This, this scene's pretty good. You see uh, Trisha and Casey get off the helicopter. They get to see her daddy. I've come back from Louisiana. They burnt my house to the ground. However, we will escape, and the northerners will govern our way of life. But then he sees Cyrus getting away on a fire truck driven by Swamp Thing, of all people. <laughs> all right. Parker, 
this the whole movie would have been totally fine just ending with him meeting his family make a con air two with some other guy send it straight to dvd and they have to hunt down cyrus but you cannot tell me that he's just going to get onto a police motorcycle <laughs> with vince larkin and chase him down it is the single silliest thing in the entire it movie to a 10-minute chase sequence on the streets of Vegas involving fire trucks. It is a completely different movie. <laughs> Chris, may I pose this to you? Mad Max Fury Poe, your thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> Beatrice, he just said that the chase sequence at the end is Mad Max Fury Poe. <laughs> it is very, very silly. My dearest Imperator Furiosa. We have returned from Gastown. Oh, <laughs> uh, so the way that they dispatch uh, <laughs> Cyrus Grissom, that that man goes through a lot. You, you heard the story about uh, who's that Russian guy who got fucked up? Rasputin, Raskolnikov, something like that. Yeah, Rasputin had a real bad time of it. Yeah, so does Cyrus, who gets stabbed through the ankle. That I mean that it's like the pencil scene from Evil Dead One, and oh except writ large, and then he gets handcuffed <laughs> to the ladder. It gets thrown through those electric and through the glass and like all those electric wires and stuff like that. And then slammed on the ground and then pile driven his head. I'm just waiting for him to walk away from all that for Con Air Two. It is one of the most elaborate movie deaths I think I've ever seen. It's uh, it is something. And then at the very end, who's the one guy who escapes? None other than ya boy Garland Green. This wonderful feel-good movie with the family reuniting, or actually not even reuniting, uniting as a whole for the very first time. And then it ends with the joke about the guy who wears decapitated heads gambling. And then the fucking credits roll like the Breakfast Club with everyone's face on it. Everyone's smiling and laughing in their introduction scene. It's great. <laughs> Starring Danny Trejo as the guy who fucks women to death. <laughs> he just like crosses his arms and smiles. Just quoting his line where he says they'd call me Johnny 600 if they knew the truth. Folks. <laughs> Freeze flame and it like turns into like a drawing of him. Fucking <laughs> like take on me looking at nonsense. Oh, so at the end of the day, do you think that scene of Garland Green at the uh, high rollers table, do you think that that's supposed to be some sort of comment on capitalism and the American sense of justice? Or do you think Simon West is just like, oh, everyone's favorite character? No, it's literally the I'm having an old friend for dinner scene, except they were already in Vegas. So they just put him behind a roulette table. <laughs> You're giving them so much credit. I... This is about the uh, military-industrial complex, and this is about prison reformation, and this is about capitalism. Now, Silence of the Lambs won a bunch of awards, so they're like, what if we will then? <laughs> the guy from Billy Madison who puts the lipstick on. <laughs> sure glad I called that guy. <laughs> I say, I sure am glad I called that guy. <laughs> <laughs> the principal is one of my favorite tales from the crypt episode. My wife, the tramp. <laughs> my cheating whore slut wife. Oh, jeez. So, at the end of the day, Parker, how do we feel about Con Air? Now, I listen to We Hate Movies a whole lot, and they coined a term that's very important to me movie-wise, and that is Hangover Movie, where it's a Sunday afternoon, you got absolutely tanked the night before, and you're just going to be on the couch, you're going to turn on like FX or TNT or some shit like that, and you're just going to sit there, probably eat something greasy to help it go down faster, zone in and out, 
And this is on the Mount Rushmore of Hangover movies. When you wake up on a Sunday afternoon and you just feel like dog shit and you don't want to move, you put this on cable TV with commercials, it's like three hours, you're going in and out of it, you're eating a big greasy burger, you're having a wonderful time. You know, I don't know that I can sign on with that, mostly because I don't get hangovers, but the the thing Must about nice. this is that... Oh, look at me, I stay hydrated. No, I Coward. just... I'm kind of like Steve Rogers. I just, you know, process alcohol better than everyone else. Um, it's <laughs> I'm great to talk to, right? Say you so much. <laughs> anyway, um, it's one. I also split logs with my hands. Uh, it's one of the things about this movie is that it's it's fun to watch in a number of different ways. It's a very effective comedy, but it's also a really good action movie, and I I like everything about it. I think it's one of the ones where I think it gets a bad rap mostly because people talk about oh another ridiculous Nicolas Cage movie. People say that a lot about some pretty decent movies. They say Kick Ass is a pretty good movie, and honestly, National Treasure, as ridiculous as the premise and everything else in the movie is, that's a pretty decent movie. You know, it made a grillion dollars for a good reason. It's it's kind of fun to watch. National Treasure absolutely slaps. Yeah, you know? And people say, oh, you know, another, I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence. Fucking dude, look, I know he's ridiculous in it, but Face Off is another good-as-hell movie. I can't believe you've never seen The Rock. That is stunning to me. Oh, maybe we should make that the next episode. You wish. Uh, there, well, okay, how about uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? <laughs> I mean, the... there's no way we could get through that without crying. Okay, how about the Incredibles too? It's cape shit. How about the boy? The boy slaps. Tell her the boy is good as hell, and I agree with her. She, uh, Parker, uh, sorry, Beatrice. Parker says the boy is good as hell, and I agree with you. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> I'll take her, it. Her face is under a pillow. I do not know how you can hear her. Uh, but um. I guess our next episode. Is... Yeah, I forgot to plan this out. Please. No, you know exactly what it is. <laughs> Chris, what's our next episode? What's that? I, one more time. It's Jurassic bro. World 2. Ha, 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 ha.